uh, okay. more technical. Hey, everybody, it's Flail Forward. We are a hey, when we're live. All right, we are live. Hi, everybody, it's Friday night. Uh, glad you're here hanging out with us, having a cozy evening of game design chat with the Flail Forward crew. Uh, my name is Rob. I'm joined tonight by uh, Mark. Hi, Mark. Hello. Hi, Rob. Cavoir is here tonight. How you doing? Hello. <laughs> That's probably white. Patrice is here. How you doing, Patrice? Hello, well enough. And we are joined by Fraser Simmons, the uh, author of the uh, new Yonder Fantasy RPG on Kickstarter right now. Go back it. It's cool. Because for reasons we are going to explore right now. And you have 51 hours. Mm -hmm. 50 hours? 50 hours to go do it. We are going to after this, I'm going to put this, uh, the recording of this up immediately. And uh, so you can learn some more about Yonder before you back it. Uh, but just back it before you learn some more about it, actually, really would be the thing to do. And then, you know, uh, explore. Explore it with, because now you have the sunk cost fallacy to deal with. Great. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> no, no, no. But because it's good. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but no, actually, I'm really excited to see this um, see this come to fruition for a number of reasons. Uh, but uh, tell us about Yonder. Welcome to the show. Right Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Yonder is a fantasy tabletop RPG that is about people who flee a land that is uh, assumed to be mundane, so there's no magic or anything like that, and they've been uh, warring for generations and essentially caused a cataclysm that happened, and their only recourse is to essentially stay and die or leave, and they leave and venture into yonder territories mm. where uh, there's a magical land, and it allows them entry at uh, the cost of transformation, essentially. So as they reveal their nature, which is like they perform an action when they're confronted with an obstacle of some kind that uh, defines their character, um, they accrue a resource called uh, catalysts, and the player gets control over uh, how that changes their character. So if it makes them start looking elven or start looking dwarvish or what have you, they can do that. And eventually, as they accrue this resource, they can spend it to gain traits uh, on their character and sort of codify these things permanently. And okay. um, yeah, I think that's the main the main conceit there. Gotcha. So okay. is the, the main driver sort of this journey into yonder and that you're everyone has the same quest of trying to get to this, this magical land they're moving towards? There'll be a bunch of different campaign frames. Um, okay. I think the main hook will be that one. Um, cool. But I'll have different ones too, like it'll be 10 or 20 years in the future or something like that, and you'll be people who maybe are venturing out from their first settlement or something like that, and maybe it's like a... a uh, coming of age ritual or something like that, where they venture out and become non-static human people, mm -hmm. <laughs> basically. Um, and then there's other ones where you're like the spearhead of a um, sort of 
um, like the settlement relocating from the cataclysm and you're the adventurers out there looking for like a correct or good path for everybody else, something like that. Um, I'm hoping to have like maybe six or eight different framing devices and then cool. have attached questions that people can pose to the players when they're creating the setting and whatnot and uh, kind of roll with it from there. But um, I'm hoping that you can attach the system to certain things as well and still have positive outcomes. I still have to play test it, but I think it would be really interesting to have these characters do a dungeon crawl or something like that and see how they are transformed by the obstacles that they face. Yeah, there as well. absolutely. That sounds really interesting. I have a question immediately because of the way you've put this so far. So mm -hmm. you said that basically people perform actions and they get transformed based upon those actions. So the immediate question would be, are there actions like that are defining someone as being a certain like race like these sounds like the standard fantasy races like you know elves and orcs and stuff like you were saying dwarves that kind of thing so is there a stereotypical elvish way of acting that if you act like an elf you become an elf are all people that act this way going to wind up looking elvish or is they're a little bit more leeway in between those. Yeah. Uh, so the game actually puts that in the player's hands when you create the... For the first thing you do is you codify in the setting what are universal truths and what are subjective truths that just apply to specific individuals. So it'll be up to you to say uh, if all evil people start looking like people have depicted them in art or if it is divergent in that way. Um, and if it's a universal truth, then that's something that's agreed upon by everybody and they're interested in having it in play. So the main um, thing that I want the notion of the game to do is confront people with the fantasy tropes and then have people include or disclude those types of things. And by doing that, I think that the more likely outcome is that there's very little universal truths and everything becomes more subjective and probably a little bit more interesting. I doubt people will be like, hell yeah, I want some monoculture in there. But mm -hmm. if they do, then at least it's something that everybody at the table has agreed to. And it's sort of like a safety mm -hmm. tool that doesn't have to get posed to people. It's just sort of built into it. Mm -hmm. So so how do you come to those defining those universal truths? Is that through those questions that you were mentioning about setting up your your scenario? Yeah, at the beginning, there'll be a sort of playbook for the world that you fill okay. out. And there'll be the one universal truth is that when people reveal their inner natures, they transform. That's the only thing that's like, it has to be mandatory on there. And then people work from there. Um, and it just has a list of possible questions that I think are interesting for fantasy games. But people can kind of codify whatever they want onto it. And then from there, they make their characters after that. Hmm. Hmm. It, it is a little strange, just like even though you're trying to avoid like the monoculture thing, like if you're like, let's say we go with something that's opposing to like how it would normally be, like instead of, oh, well, if you're evil, then you show up as a monstrous. So, no, how about like, 
evil puts on a pretty face kind of thing. So that the more beautiful you are, the more hideous you may be inside kind of thing. But that might still mean that you could basically judge people based on their appearance. Like if somebody looks nice, if you've agreed that this is a universal <laughs> truth, you now literally have just managed to codify like racism immediately. It's kind of a weird setup to start with. Hmm. Well, but why would people want to include that in their game though? Right. I think it's more useful to have everybody on the same page as to what they want as universal truth. And then mm. by doing that and confronting them with that issue right off the bat, it's more likely that everything will become a subjective thing for everybody mm. else mm. than it become a universal truth. So is the, uh, the choice whether to make something subjective or universal basically up to the players as they're opening up. So somebody could say like, oh, I want this to be universal. And then somebody else around the table can say like, well, no, I think that's going to be subjective. And then that, that kind of the, like one person around the table saying it's subjective is enough to like sort of say, okay, interesting. Yeah. It's, it's basically like a lines and veils issue, except that you're picking fantasy tropes essentially to include Mm -hmm. in your game. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. So after you take the, uh, after you get the, the sort of the world, there's a sort of like mini world building thing. How far do you take that? Do you develop a history? Do you develop a kingdom? Or do you just sort of get <clears throat> sort of a bare bones to then like start building the rails? Uh, bare bones, and then you pick a frame, and then you just roll with it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not super interested in um, building out settings to a large degree. I'm more about um, just playing to find out and having an interesting frame that everybody's interested in and and then just rolling with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been really against, um, like not ideology, ideologically or anything. I just don't like it when I have the feeling that I'm in somebody else's game. Like mm-hmm. when I first started playing Dungeons and Dragons, that was the <laughs> the feeling that I got all the time. I'm like, okay, this is... I, I am I'm having problems buying into this world because I have no investment in it really and I don't really understand all the rules because there's like 12 books or whatever I haven't read because I came in <laughs> I came in at the end of fourth so there was like right yeah like even making my character I needed friends oh, to help me yeah. and then when I made the character it sort of didn't feel like my character anyway because I was right. like okay I want to be this kind of archetype and then they min maxed me and before you know initiative was even rolled i could move three spaces and if i was next to somebody i could hit them and then i could teleport and then initiative was rolled and i was even learning just how to use my own character in a game that i didn't really even understand so Mm -hmm. i think it just sort of stuck with me and now i'm like don't tell me what i'm gonna do in my game Well, it, it sounds like it works perfectly for the idea of Yonder as well. If you're discovering and exploring, it sounds like that goes kind of hand in hand with having a pretty loosely defined setting and then getting to explore these different themes and elements as you go. Um, are, are these kinds of questions intended to be posed as you go through the game as well, or are they just for setup and then leaving things open? The intent is to go through the game continually confronting these things. Cool. So. Um, it depends on the, the referee or the dungeon master. 
Um, I called them the, the referee, the, the arbiter of the rules type deal. Right. Um, it kind of depends on what they're interested in exploring in the game. But assuming they are, then even just posing certain obstacles is a way of interfacing with that kind of notion where, okay, here's a dragon. How does somebody become a dragon? How do we become dragons? Um, if the idea is that you've codified that um, there was nothing here until humans, I guess this dragon was once a human. Are you going to try to kill the dragon? <laughs> like, is the is the typical notion of a dragon hoarding gold or something what the referee has in mind, or are they some other kind of creature? Interesting. Um, I think they're going to continually be um, posing these questions. Right. Yeah, and it sounds like that's the kind of guidance that the 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 arbiter, the referee, would need. Um, would be to say like these are these sort of scenarios that you want to include in the game because they have these sort of heavier questions that are associated to them of what does this mean in the greater context of the world that we're working in. Um, so it sounds like writing your like GM uh, advice section is going to be a little tricky or like that's very particular to your game because that's that takes a special kind of GM to acknowledge that or prepare for that. Um, how how did you approach that kind of design aspect? So the um, the main way that I have uh, tools for the referee mm -hmm. is when people are choosing a class, there's a seeker, believer, and a guardian. And okay. with them, there's attached a whole bunch of questions that's sort of like an invitation for the players to codify aspects of the setting. Mm -hmm. um, and it also is a way of telling and telegraphing to the players to um, what you're interested in exploring and what you want to find out about the game. So if the seeker has a particular uh, thing that they're trying to find after they've chosen a camp frame, campaign frame, like a possible settlement or um, whatever it may be, um, at least the referee has sort of already got a heads up about what everybody's interested in exploring with their character and what they're interested in sort of fleshing out. And then they can uh, roll with it from there. But most of it is sort of PBTA style where you put a lot of the control into the player's hands and then mm. the referee is reacting to the players and cool. uh, facilitating that way. It's not a lot of, um, I don't know, like prescriptive um, responses to, mm -hmm. like you're not kind of treating them like... Uh, petri dishes or something or like let's see what this guy does yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could i do that it's more like oh they're they're clearly interested in this i'm gonna hit them with this uh next session and see how they react and then just keep the ball rolling that way cool do you, do you have a, a codified way of doing that whereas like if the players go down this particular fork then you've got something that you you can give the gm in order to like uh further that particular interest or do you sort of rely upon the gm being the intermediary between the players and the text in that case most of my um, game design is leaning towards subjective territory so uh -huh. i like to call it lazy dming basically <laughs> the players are doing all of the work right. and then the referee is just sort of like picking up on what they're telling them and, and mm -hmm. kind of regurgitating what they're um 
interested in in a way that um brings in what they're interested in as well so it's it's a lot less um like you you don't have to write too much about it i feel like you have to write more about what the spirit of the game is and what its in, its intentions are and then give the proper tools to the players to do the ones hitting the gas um than anything it just seems like a strange concept for people that haven't uh, been playing too much of those types of games but it's it's something i find is very um ingrained and they're meshed in the players who are playing these types of games either they're like willing to pick up the ball and roll with it or they have like a very you know like a, a bad reaction to it um and it's it's been the same with all of my designs, like the prescriptive players. I'm at the point where I'm just like, you should not play my games. <laughs> you won't have well, a good time. <laughs> I, I get that, and it's it's almost too bad though, because I think it comes from a place of training. Like I think I think the the mentality <clears throat> of like those games like D and D, where a lot of people get their start, um, the way that those have been taught and like passed from one person to the next is very prescriptive. Um, and it's it's uh, a shame that there's so many players that only view that as their way of interacting with the game. So it's great to have these kinds of specifically designed games that are like, no, just just roll with it. Like you'll you'll develop the story as you go. Um, it sounds like that's been what you focused on in a lot of your designs. Yeah, all of them pretty much. There there hasn't been anything that's like a codified setting or. Um really even like a traditional skill based or um yeah those like skills or what are they called the the other tests in D D. Saves. 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 Yeah. yeah yeah like 90 percent of your roles yeah i think i'm thinking of saves and stuff like that where mm -hmm. it's still reactive but you've been put into the place already basically like I, I still remember two years ago a buddy of mine was running a murder mystery in D, &D and you could just tell it was not made to do that yeah. <laughs> like we just kept failing so we got no clues right and he kept right. trying to like poke us to be like oh there's, there's stuff over here and we're like okay we check it out zero <laughs> right? uh. <laughs> So it's, he just kind of like, had to throw us bones. It's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, like Robin Laws wrote Gumshoes specifically to avoid that. Like, there's an entire game system to just not have that happen. <laughs> like, that, that whole yeah. thing of like, oh, everybody blew skill rolls. I guess we're not doing the adventure today. Like, right. I can't believe that's still a thing. I can't believe, like, people are still falling down that particular rabbit hole. Like, <laughs> After yeah, after a game came out that was just like oh no you can just you can just give them the stuff and the game's still good <laughs> like <laughs> there's no big victory in rolling high for to get the clue you need to make it to the next thing yeah it's um mm -hmm. go ahead cat I I think a lot of that issue is the mentality that there's always a chance to fail, so you have to roll for everything, and if you fail, then you just don't get the thing, and it's set up with a binary expectation of either pass or fail. 
And then and your buddy tries the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And you go around the table until somebody rolls good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If if you do that mentality though, like you are definitely locked out of certain types of gameplay. Like they tried I found that they did that with um Call of Cthulhu. And mm-hmm. it ran into a lot of issues where it was just like you said, like we're trying to do basically the equivalent of a supernatural murder mystery and it's just oh looks like nobody saw the clues so um we're just and even if you're like the investigator too like you would think Mm -hmm. that no matter what the investigator would pick up on a couple clues like they would have like a special ability where like i gravitate toward a clue (laughs) or something but they can just be it's just like well i have a plus five in investigation or whatever yeah yeah so Still yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, um, I, uh, it's funny because like, I find that the running joke is always like, how did you get into game design and why was it trying to reinvent D&D because it sucked for whatever you wanted? <laughs> yeah. It's how are you trying to fix D&D? Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I think like, there's so many people that have gone in with that as their initiation of like games and then realized, like, no, this isn't doing the things that I want it to do. So it's great to have games like Yonder where it's like, this is, this is the way that you can explore this space. Like D&D exists and it is there if you want that experience. But then there's another game that will have this like um, open-endedness or we ask different questions that get you thinking about what this game world is. So it's, it's cool to see like all these different directions, especially now, like the diversity of games that are out there is really yeah. heartening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I, like, lately I've been saying like D&D is so like it's such a weird like specific kind of mediocre that it actually generates game designers. Like it's so it, because they're everybody thinks they can fix it. Right. So like you, you go notice like, oh, this isn't that fun. I bet I could make something better than this. And then now 10 years later, you're down <laughs> some rabbit hole. It's like, well, I'm on my next Kickstarter and here we are. Uh, but yeah, well, it, as long it as it's as long yeah. as it's making new game designers, that's that's great. I think mm-hmm. it's just yeah, yeah. It is it is a symptom though that people are like, oh, I want this X thing that I can't get from the game, mm-hmm. and it, it definitely is like it, when I first made uh, my first game, The Veil. People were like, oh, this is the golden age for game designers, and now it's like, like I remember. What 2010, John Harper was talking about how he, when he went to cons, he was happy because he could literally play every single indie game, like because mm. they were just at at the cons. That's mm. how many of them there were. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now it's like even just looking on itch, and, oh, and that yeah. BLM yeah. bundle, right? It was yeah. just. That was insane. You, you can't even navigate it, basically. No. No, so, it was like a thousand plus games. And like, even if you were to scrape off the top 10%, that's still a hundred games to read. This was like, I want to play all these on some level, but like, I, there's, I'm not going to be able to. Like, I just can't. Yeah, it's a bummer. There's full categories of games that I had never heard of before yeah. as well. <laughs> like lyric games. Right. And now there's like... I, I don't remember what it's called, but there's people who write 
fan fiction about the LARPs that they play that has an acronym. <laughs> and oh, there's wow. the people that make songs about those. And it's well, got like shit. an acronym as well. Wow. So there's <laughs> there's just so much choices out there that like even four years ago, I guess, with the veil, something like that, four or five years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe three to five years ago. There was everybody thought that was like living the life. <laughs> so, uh, and that was no, before I, itch. It yeah, wasn't even yeah, there. Yeah. It was all gum road and drive through. Right. And you know, the occasional, I mean, when I backhacked the planet, uh, when that was the thing, like I was like, Oh, cool. Cyberpunk force in the dark. That's exactly what, you know, I was in the middle of doing like a cyberpunk force in the dark type thing. And I was like, Oh, perfect. I can just stop. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, where you landed with Hack the Planet was different than where I was going because I was basically just doing Shadowrun in in Force in the Dark. Because like it seemed that Blades in the Dark was set up better to do Shadowrun than Shadowrun was. Uh, I mean, which Isn't what is how it? many Shadowrun Blades in the Darks can you think of off the top of your head? I have oh, three. now, yeah, exactly. Like there's a, there's a solid ten flavors of like <laughs> Forged in the Dark for like whatever you want to do, man. You just, I mean, Hack a Planet's just one of them I'd recommend to people at this point, but like, yep. you know, you want to do like climate change Shadowrun? Like, here you go. Like, yep. great. Uh, I mean, it's so cool that you can get that specific with stuff now, though. That's part of the great foliation of like indie game designers. Like, there, like there's a game for almost like every specific kind of thing which is great in a way because you, you like there's a game for the person if you like no matter what you're into now like you can probably jump on itch and find something pretty solid uh in like the three pages that you can just pull up and and, and start going and, and but it, but on the other hand it's like man there's so many great games i'm never going to get to play and it's the it's the bummer of all bummers like but you if know, you're a I, game designer, it's fun because you just yeah. read those books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's I mean, that's pretty much what I do with most of my games at this point. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to run something like and and Yonder is even like part of this, this new wave of kind of, um, it's like world collapse plus introspection games that are coming out like. Um, uh, uh, that's, a, that's a genre, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing I wanted to mention was I run, like, uh, uh, for most of this year, I've run a weekly, like, one shot of various things, and I still, and the list of games I want to play in that is still seven long. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. There's even, <laughs> a, there's even a ton of one. Uh, one-person journaling games and stuff now too. Mm-hmm. So if you can't, you know, buddy up, <laughs> find people, then you have still got games. Mm-hmm. I know I tried for so long to get into D and D encounters on Wednesdays, but I just couldn't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> I could only last for so long. I feel you. I know. Yeah, I, I used to run them. Uh, you know, but it was just man, it's uh, you know, you 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 you'd take your 20th party of second level dudes through a dungeon and it's just a, here's a dungeon and you get to the end and yay, everybody's kind of doing a thing. 
I've done this story, man. (laughs) Can we do a different story? (laughs) And that's why I like games like this, where it's like, here's a framing device. Go nuts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It asks more of the players. So Mm -hmm. I understand when there's some players who are like, I don't know if that's for me, because it's, it's definitely like, oh, I expected to sit here and eat some pretzels and, you know, some person who has like a trifold in front of them is going to tell me to roll a specific die mm-hmm. and occasionally say some words and that's what I signed up for. So when I put a sheet in front of them, I'm like, what kind of tropes do you like in fantasy? Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. confront them together. <laughs> you know, yeah, they give you a blank stare. Fun. Just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, some people are just into that, you know, like, I don't, I don't, it's one of those things where, like, so I, I, I've been that guy, so, like, I know that mentality. Like, now it's really hard for me to get into that kind of experience because, like, I've just done it enough. Like, I don't need to do another low-level dungeon crawl where it's, you know, I, I basically got it. Like, I know what's going on. I don't need to. There's, there's, a, there's a big bad at the end of this dungeon tunnel, you know, great, good times. Um, it's just, like, now I'm looking for that that those games that do offer that more open-ended experience. And one of the things that like, when I was looking through this, when I was looking at Yonder, one of the things I really enjoyed, or at least I liked the sound of, um, was the, how you're doing the skills. And so how you start with like, like very broad, and then it foliates into more specific. As you can talk about that a little bit. So how, how that kind of come about and like, and, and, what does that? Uh, what does that sort of represent about where the game goes? Yeah, I wanted something to be uh, super hackable and accommodating of whatever framing device people wanted to use. It's actually the uh, I call it the approach tree system because it uh, it kind of works off of the approach system of Blades in the Dark, except that instead of when you choose whatever approach and you can train in it and it goes up or whatever. I I thought, what if every increment was a chance to really hone in and like make a focused approach on top of that, that gives the fictional positioning that is explained within the fiction, but then also is something that people can visually look at and kind of play with so that when they're advancing, the min-maxers for sure will be like, okay, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna make this, and then it's gonna connect with this, and like <laughs> in like twelve levels, I'm going to be a god, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> it, but um, mm-hmm. it just made more sense because every time I was playing Hack the Planet or Blades in the Dark, training felt kind of strange because people were like, okay, I'm I go to the gym, pump some iron, and now I'm stronger, and mm-hmm. I can this approach is now better. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess so, right? Like when you're when you're using the approach and you're doing fiction first and saying what you're doing, it doesn't really, like you, you're not like, oh yeah, and the audience notices my, my muscles are huge now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I just thought it'd be more interesting if every increment was um, an added, it, you still get the added increment in the dice pool, but you got to codify what within that broad approach your character was really interested in and then further drill down into it or like go 
further broad even and, and mm -hmm. not drill down. And then you could plan out your character in different ways or just let it be emergent. And as you got advances, you're like, well, I, I'm really interested in learning how to hunt or something. So I'm going to put sharpshooter in, in the precision approach and yeah. I'll get an extra dice. And I actually know in the fiction, you know, why I got this to die. I know what the training looks like. <laughs> I know everything about that. And the min-maxers still get to have fun because under the violence tree, they can be like, you know, drill right down into it so that every time they use violence, they get all of the dice pool uh, increments from it. But at the same time, if they do that, they're no longer diversified. And when they try to do other stuff, they're hampered. So it's, right. it, it worked out to be pretty elegant. I used it for the uh, retro punk game. Mm -hmm. And then this is just going to slightly tweak it for fantasy. Mm -hmm. And then I bolted on the um, uh, catalysts for people describing how their character changes and uh, creating traits, which cool. similarly gives extra die pools. And then I, I found it was just like more visually interesting because it's lined up like skill trees. And then when people were filling them out, they can actually visualize how they're going to improve their character mm -hmm. instead of it being, you know, like little notches on the mm -hmm. specific approaches or something. It just mm -hmm. felt more accessible and um, maybe just more stimulating when you look at the, seat, the sheet as well, when you're working on your character. And because they're so broad, like the starting ones are violence, precision, velocity, compromise, establish, uncover. And then the player interprets that and creates uh, focused approaches within them. So it's mm. it could be a whole bunch of different things that they use these trees for instead of it just being like funnel vision. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. But I, I really like that idea of like sort of developing your niche as you play in reaction to the things that you've done. Um, and that you're, you're seeing it not only mechanically, but in how your character presents themselves to the outside, um, to everyone else. And that colors their interactions that they would bring forward in RP. So you've done this really nicely where it seems like the, the player has to change how they play um, in reflection of how they've played before, um, which is really interesting and fun. It kind of feeds that loop of who this character is, how they're changing, how they're becoming more themselves. Um, I really like that idea. That seems... Um, I, I could see it also appealing a lot to like artists who would love to even just like draw out their characters and see that like progression from where they started to where they've ended up and like getting to have those those like milestones would be really cool. Yeah, I think um the the cool thing about it too is that I've left a a broad approach that is just completely blank. So if there's something there that people are like, well, this is nothing like I wanted to plan my character as or whatever. Mm -hmm. They just create an entirely new broad approach, which is essentially a bolt onto their class. So they, if you choose Seeker and you interpret that as like a ranger who's a pathfinder for the group or, or whatever, looking for the, the correct route for the caravan behind you or something like that, but you want to be like a magician or something like that too, then you just create a broad approach that is that mm -hmm. specific thing. Um, and then you just 
continue, but the advances also allow you to uh, edit them as well. So if it's like 10 levels in or something like that, and you're like, I'm not really feeling this bow thing that I developed <laughs> under precision, you can change sharpshooter to you know, something else. Cool. And uh, still not feel like you, you, you still have to like pay for it, I guess, as an advancement, but at least you're not completely boxed into whatever it was mm. that you had chosen. Yeah. Hmm. Out of curiosity, like it, it sounds like this is very broadly set up for like the skills. Like you said, there's a lot of interpretation. So if I were to say create a character who's more like, you know, a monk or something who's more avoiding conflict like they're not quite a pacifist but they're more taking like the aikido style of combat where it's like use your opponent's strength against you you could use violence for example it's not you learning to be violent it's more you studying somebody else's violence and because you know how their violence works you can use it against them kind of thing like would that actually be how the system works Yes. Yeah, you could do that. You could also interpret it in a different way. Like um, you could use it as compromise too, like compromising their position by using their momentum against them or something like that. You wouldn't necessarily have to put it in violence, but you could. But mechanically, it wouldn't really matter because when you, it, it's just a dice pool system. So it, whether you put it in violence or whether you put it in compromise, you'd be rolling 2d6 regardless. And you're the one as the player establishing what approach you're using, what that looks like in the fiction, and then the referee responds with like whatever is in uh, like what what is at risk for what you're trying to accomplish. You decide if that's something that you still want to proceed with, and then you roll. So you could put it wherever you like. In my Example on the Kickstarter, I put eagle-eyed under compromise because I was thinking it compromises their position, but I could put it easily under uncover as mm -hmm. well. It just depends on how you want to like plan out your character and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then at higher levels, you can uh, link one tree to another as well. So you could even build up your compromise and your violence as the monk and just choose the specific focused approaches that are suitable to it. So if you've got the, use the momentum against them, as well as some other things, I don't know anything about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you developed it and then bridged them, then theoretically you could move towards being like, you know, getting a huge dice pool for being really good at that thing that you wanted to do without actually hurting the person. Hmm. Okay, so... How how exactly does like this linking and bridging the skills work? Like it just adds like the dice pools together or Yeah, what so does you it just actually do? you continue to build the dice pool. So in a typical one, you choose you get one D6 and then you choose a broad approach and you get another D6. And then from within that tree that you've chosen, if there's a focus approach there you get 1d6 for anything that's applicable within it. But if you link it to another tree, it extends to that tree and you can choose additional focused approaches or even if that particular broad approach also applies, then you build it up. Hmm. 
Cool. How do um, consequences work for this kind of system? Do you have each one under the different trees um, that like might relate to it, or is it left very open and vague? They'll be kind of like the blades thing, where it's like probably these are the types of things that will be a consequence of this, but mostly I think it'll be established. Usually, it's very easy to come up with a consequence when the player says, "I want to do X." Right. Then you're like, "Okay, well, this is what." could happen if you uh get a failure or a right. uh or a um middling success type deal but it also scales really well too like you could have a boss fight where you have a certain number of different obstacles attached to the boss like if it's a dragon you can't stab it unless you get at the scales or whatever Mm-hmm. and just have like certain different things that they have to address and they're working together to overcome and um vice versa if you wanted to do single combat really quickly and do a duel and somebody was like okay my i just straight up want to kill this person with one roll then you're like okay well you're also risking death then right so let's mm-hmm. see what happens <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. You can you can make whatever goal uh, you want with the system, kind of like a World of Dungeons approach, but a little bit more codified than that. Mm-hmm. Cool, I like it. I'm just curious because of the like the entire system seems very open. I, I um, my perspective of just like the the GM or the referee in this case of like. Um, getting to grips with the system and getting used to it. Um, it sounds like there's um, a lot of freedom that if someone was new to RPGs or that this was their introduction, did you have a way of trying to like bridge that gap and make things easier? Because I know even with people that have played uh, Blades as their first introduction, there is a little bit of a learning curve of needing to think on your feet in that way. So have you found that that's something that uh, you can address with the Yonder? Yeah, I basically codified it into the tone uh, section of the game. So when you're initially making the the world, part of the uh, setup is to codify the tone. If it's going to be grim dark, like how how wounded are we getting? Is death on the table? Yeah, Um, that kind of stuff. And then those are flags for the referee to use for um, using the what the person's risking and then also just the it's similar to blades actually too where people say i want to accomplish this uh the referee says this is what you're risking and then it establishes for both the people kind of like a safety tool where like we're both on the same page right like if you mm-hmm. try to do this this is what could happen uh, or a variation of that or something so that every time you're establishing the fictional positioning and the outcome of the consequences, you're essentially building up um, what the possible consequences are right. every single time. Cool. But similar to so, Blades, I would say that it's uh, a cog- heavy cognitive load in the beginning, and then it gets better. Sorry, I interrupted you. I'm sorry, I was interrupting you. But um, so this means that the players are always aware of like, what they're getting themselves into. They know what the consequences of their actions potentially might be before they do it, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to establish 
that the like the player knows what's going to be going on with their character before they attempt something. Um, and it's informed decision making. Uh, pardon? No, oh, this is good. Informed decision making. This, this yeah. seems good. Yeah, yeah. There's similar situations. I think Blades is a reaction to games where that doesn't happen and people are like what <laughs> i didn't know i could die <laughs> doing that right like if you said right. you know like the, the the typical thing that i bring up is um i was watching a, a combat in D fourth that was very funny but not for the players <laughs> because they were all having to rush into this one room with one door and they were getting like funneled or whatever and then it was like in a storefront, there was a huge bay window and then maybe an hour into the combat where they kept trying to get in and getting kicked out and all this stuff. Like I was like, wait, can we just break the window? And the DM was like, yes, I was waiting for you to ask that. And I was just like, just why don't you just like, are they incompetent? (laughs) Is their intelligence stores like eight or six or whatever the bad thing is? Like just tell people what's going on in the game so they can make an informed decision and then you won't you know like i i bet none of those players were like i had a wicked game tonight yeah exactly <laughs> so that always seems uh, so odd to me with that kind of thing because it's like the characters are probably trained for combat they would know that this would be you know a viable option the players however are not trained for combat yeah so, and also well, most and also, people aren't there are some there's something important uh, in a lot of the way D&D, especially 4th edition, is framed. Uh, uh, you was, you assume most barriers are impenetrable <laughs> because that's how the combat works. You assume the combat map isn't lying to you. Like You assume exactly. that's information you can rely on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You assume but, that any flavor dressing of the of it being a shabby window is just that flavor dressing, not an actual tactical. Well, I don't even think anyone brought up the window. I think oh. somebody at one point was just like, "What?" So this is a wall, and the guy was like, "Oh no, that's a window, right?" And I'm like, "Don't they have passive perception or something?" I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> if there is a window and to break them to break, you need to tell them it's a window. Exactly. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's just, I think, a reaction to that kind of adversarial Mm -hmm. relationship between the facilitator and the players, where I'd I'd just rather it be built into the rules where if you want to play this game, you got to have this conversation before a roll with somebody and they have to understand what's going on. Or even like, even with blades, right? The the player has an option of making it even worse for themselves if they mm-hmm. want. Right? Yeah. They can they can up the stakes even more, and you could do this well in this game too. Like I've had people where like, I don't want to do a combat. I know this guy's a badass. I think it's just more interesting if we handle this in one roll. And if I right. die, I die. Right? And I'm yeah. like, all right. If that's what's the most interesting to you and you know, it, we've got the sort of grimmer tone going. Let's do it. But at right. least that way they're like, okay, I know that mm-hmm. if this doesn't go my way, rough. And then also yeah. all the other players are in on it. So if they want to help or try to do something, then yeah. at least everybody's on the same page and you, you go yeah. from there. 
exactly. And I think I think those are the kinds of things where it's like in in that you have the players that establish what they want as the bounds of their play experience. And even like in your D and D example, it can be just as easy as saying like it didn't matter whether it was a wall or a window until the player said, "I want to bust through the window," and now there's a window there. And like you can play with that and and jump on that kind of action and leave that setting and world open for people to add in their own creativity. And that's what fleshes the world out. And that sounds like yeah. exactly what you're getting at with Yonder. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It sounds an awful lot more like you're playing in almost a reactionary sense in the sense that like the players say, I want to do something. You're like, okay, let's see what we can do to make it mm-hmm. possible to do that. Whereas D&D, as you said, is more prescriptive in a lot of ways. Like it's just assumed that there is not a window there unless the DM had already decided that there was a window there before you asked. Yeah. This this does have a very different uh, mindset, it seems, of just what information exists, even, and how solid it is, how tangible it is to the actual gameplay. Yeah, I would say all of my games are more squarely in the story game space than than mm-hmm. anything else. Like, there's some games that say that they're story games, and then there's my games where it's like, <laughs> not like until somebody says a thing, then it happens, and we just we just go from there. Like, I've never played a game with people, especially PBTA games or my games, where someone was like, "What's around me?" and I'm like, "Oh." what are you looking for? And they're like, I'm looking for a weapon. I'm like, there's a weapon over here, right? Let's see. That's interesting. Let's see what happens, right? Because we're, yeah. we're more interested in the, in the story than the prescriptive <laughs> ways in which we can manipulate the system to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what died a weapon damage is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, even, even playing Dungeon World, though, with people, it's, I, I had to get out of that mindset as well because Dungeon World, you're, or at least for me, I was like, oh, this is like Dungeons and Dragons. So I'd be like, hey, is there X in the room or Y or whatever? Whereas other people would just be like, I take up the carpet and throw it over them and shoot a flaming arrow or whatever. Right? <laughs> like, Damn, this game's cool. <laughs> <laughs> like the first time I played Dungeon World, I think it blew my mind because. I think my brother ran it for me and I was an elf and he was, I was like, Oh, cool. What are elves like? And he's like, I don't know. You tell me. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) We're in a dark tunnel. I'm like, can I see in the dark? And he's like, I don't know. Can you? I'm like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's like, man, like so many of us have that experience where it's like you play your first, like fiction first game. That's, that's not like, it doesn't, it's, doesn't have to be balanced you know there's no like balance is not a thing you're shooting for because there's no win condition so it's weird to even talk about that setting that aside um but the first time you go like the first time a gm says like i don't know you tell me and you go what yeah <laughs> what do you mean like i can just I, I want it to be like this and they go okay cool it's like that now and you go <sighs> Whereas I was a monster monster (laughs) and I did that to my players in World of Darkness, despite the fact that it had a prescribed setting, because, you know, that's Uh just the person I was. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, sure. Uh, 
What do you think happens? Yeah, no, that seems reasonable with the ability. That seems like a reasonable extension of the ability you have. That that makes sense. Go with let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the argument against it as well though. Like if like the thing with the elf, for example. Like can elves see in the dark? Um some people are gonna be like, well, I feel like this is something that should already be established, not something made up ad hoc on the spot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's going to depend on the players a great deal. Like some people are definitely going to do almost the Minecraft thing where like, you know, they punch a tree and then it's like, I have wood. <laughs> I can do stuff with this. Uh-huh. And then you'll get others and it's like, okay, I have wood, but I don't have any blueprints of what I can do with the wood. A little direction would be nice. Yeah. So I, I think it does very largely depend upon like what the players themselves are looking for. Yeah, I think the games are creating investment in different ways and my my games are always more towards the player, probably because I was used to games where I didn't have any investment myself as a player, so now it's like my revenge on the world. <laughs> <laughs> Your super positive, productive revenge. Well, yeah. that's a horrible story. <laughs> How terrible. Yeah. I made people ask me things. <laughs> Dastardly um. fiend. Yeah, you do this? He's, he's out there writing games, twirling a mustache, just going, ah, they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll all see, they'll see my, 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 my way I'm letting the players have more agency. Yeah, I'm just Rorschach yeah. in the jail. You're stuck yeah. in here with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about, I'm, one of the things that um, I'm liking about Yonder is the feel and the art of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about like where where the sort of look came from and what sort of direction you wanted to go in with with the look of the game because it's uh, there's parts of it that are really quite striking. So we'll talk a little about that. Yeah, the first thing that I do when I come up with a design actually is um, by art because it, <laughs> it makes I'm, I don't make a lot of money doing this. This is my full-time job. So I'm, if I buy a piece of art for it, then I know that I will finish it. Mm-hmm. I And art is expensive. So if you blow like $1,000 on a nice piece or whatever, then you're like, okay, I am making this game. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I first came across the, the artist uh, Warmtail uh, on ArtStation. And asked about buying some established pieces and those are the ones that you see for the uh character classes like the woman who kind of looks like a paladin with the sun uh behind her that kind of stuff those pieces and then it kind of graduated out into i wanted something that was evocative but not super um tied to like a D look where you could look at it and be like, oh, okay, clearly this is the ranger and this is the fighter or whatever. Mm -hmm. I wanted something kind of like that, but a little bit off kilter. And then with the um, 
the last piece that I got was actually the the cover because it took a while to commission it. But uh, I wanted something again that was like, you know, like a group of adventurers, but it wasn't them in like a um, confrontation, like facing a dragon or mm. something like that. I wanted something evocative of what the game was about. So on a journey somewhere, um, it being a little bit strange and a little bit different than fantasy. And then I said, if you can put the world immolating in the background, so that there's the flaming mm -hmm. uh, sun in the background and stuff like that. Yeah, Go. I like how it the how it fades in. Like there's the 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 kind of washed out reds into the more kind of detailed blues on the cover. It's really nice with the <laughs> with those nice crows to welcoming everybody to the to the world. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, everything is it's fine. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. it's and a nice little spirit guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. And then so all of the sort of landscape pieces that I wanted. Uh, similar thing. I wanted it to be telegraphing to the players and the the reader that it's like it's like what you know, but it's not super codified. So it has like this sort of evocative feel without it being yeah super super down. Like the mm. um, the piece in the woods with the um, like almost watercolory or not watercolory, but um, like pastel kind of look to it where you don't see the person's face again. And there's like this oh, weird creature in the background. The <laughs> With the deer in the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That one. Yeah. I get what you mean by watercolor, but it's not quite accurate. It's like oversaturated colors, but like faded, but the, there's a path, like there's a clear destination into mists on that one. And the light is all filtered, and the light is filtered in obscure. No. The light is actively an obscuring force. Yeah. yeah so like that's, that's... all of the pieces, uh, you don't even like, except for the the cover has the most detail, I think. But all the interior work is you don't really see like faces and stuff like that because I didn't want people to kind of like resort to defaultism and be like. Mm -hmm. My character is gonna be the the that one, the elf looking type one, right? Because um, yeah. a lot of the feedback I get from my PPTA games is when I put um, specific playbook pictures on the playbooks, people are always like, instead of it being mm -hmm. like a starting Full. point for them or or like an idea, they're just like, oh, that's my character. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. So that's, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I just wanted it to be, yeah, interesting and pull you in without it being like something that you could use as like a foil immediately, yeah. basically, yeah, is where totally that came from. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Definitely echoes like the entire aspect of the game too, where where things are left very sort of undefined until you specify them. Like they they are nebulous and somewhat like open to interpretation. So. It fits perfectly with like where the game is, and I'm I'm curious how much of the art influenced what the game became because you picked up your art so early. Yeah, 
it, uh, it, it definitely influenced it quite a bit, especially when I was trying to be like, okay, what are the classes going to be for this game? Because mm-hmm. it's, I was, uh, originally I was going to be like, oh, I'll appeal to the the trad um, crowd and be like wizard thief fighter type thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense, right? Like they're leaving this land and going to a new one and they're going to be thieves. And- <laughs> <laughs> Like fighters, <laughs> sure, but it makes more sense that there's going to be like the guardian who wants to protect something, the seeker mm-hmm. who's looking for something, and the believer is interesting because then even if there's multiple, like if all four players or whatever pick the believer, they could codify their beliefs in entirely different ways and be empowered by mm-hmm. them. And it poses interesting questions too, like moral moral absolutism is that mm-hmm. a thing in the game because mm-hmm. that's a big you know trope and in fantasy as well mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah it's just it's like the trope of fantasy i, I think <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah, the more fantasy a thing is, the more yeah it's yeah. like it's like like you can almost like fantasy is almost the the metric of by how distinctly good and evil are defined in a story it's almost mm-hmm. like high fantasy is like, yeah, it's Sauron and he's the bad guy. And low fantasy is like, well, it's Game of Thrones and everybody kind of sucks. <laughs> so but, that's yeah. why I was thinking it'd be interesting to have like a wizard who was mm-hmm. a believer because mm-hmm. then they could be diametrically opposed to the Sauron type thing if that's right. what you wanted in your game rather than him being a wizard because you can just put that as a thing in your approach tree if you wanted to. Like, it. Yeah. There's a special abilities for the believer that would allow them to essentially just make a wizard if they wanted to, mm-hmm. and then use the class tree to to codify it that way. But um, the more interesting thing is to pose the questions about what a believer looks like in this place and um, come at it that way, I think. And then similarly, instead of a fighter, what are you interested in protecting? Why are mm-hmm. you... You know, uh, if you're uh, interested in being uh, someone who's a guardian via violence, what is it that you are so attached to <laughs> that yeah. you want to protect? Yeah, so, the why, yeah, the why is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then the art, I wanted it to be like a whole bunch of the pieces that I have as you look at it and it, you're just kind of like, oh, I have a whole bunch of different ideas about what this mm-hmm. knight could be, like the the guy with the shield and this weird, yeah, sort of weapon in front of him. You're like, I don't know, is that a is that a fighter? Is that a, a paladin? Is it a what's up with the fin helmet stuff going on? Does he have wings? Is this like yeah. an angelic knight? Yeah, it's so a flaming cape, actually on fire. Like, yeah, it, there's so many. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like it's almost more like a. Um, like a, a tarot card or an oracle card where it's just a bunch of imagistic representation, but not of any, like I, for example, like it, do, it doesn't strike me as this is a thing that appears in the world as this is, this is a person that lives in yonder somewhere. This is more like a, this is something that yonder could hold, you know, in some form, but it's not going to be this exact form. It's going to be your, your doodly, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I, I dig that. Very cool. There's a lot of, I mean, a lot of the art's really nice. Like the flaming, I, I like this one. The, uh, the, the elk 
with the flaming antlers in the mm-hmm. winter is just great. Like, yeah, what I was gonna say. Piece. Yeah. Hmm? So, but I try not to. T- oh, I come wrong, but I think our timing is extremely messed up. But I feel like a lot of the art pieces are more like um. These are things that are emotionally true of that you might encounter and wander like. These are definitely invocative of the type of, like, these, well, how should I phrase this? Oh, better than emotionally true. Because that's actually what I mean, but they're, like, the artwork sets a very specific tone that you can latch onto, but it's not, like, a representation of a physical event that happened. <laughs> it's a representation, it's tone-given form. Yeah. yeah. Into yeah. The multiple moons piece with the mountains. Just, it's just, it, man. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of the reasons I backed the, back the project. It's like, oh, I am down for, I'm going to get a book full of dope art. Like, even yeah. if I don't play the game, like, I'm down to, to have a, a book full of dope art. Like, that's, that's really cool. And just to have, like, that visual represent, like, that, that just, you know, it's fun to look at this stuff, man. Like it's it's well done, and you know, it's it's a it's a, just a good reason to back the project. Like I love projects with that really invest in the art because it means that there's care about what the tone is of the game. You know, and there's a and it's cohesive without being like stiflingly cohesive. I don't know how to. I don't that that nice job with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really like the the old guy with the sort of like weird lantern. Oh yeah, yeah. Thing going on every time I look at him, like this guy is like a believer in something. I don't know what it is. Like, mm-hmm. makes me want to make like a dude who can control time or something like that. And like oh, it got yeah. away from him or something, so now he's all old as balls and stuff. So uh, yeah, that one, that one's great. The staff, it's like there's a little bell in there, kind of. It's like, what's yeah. the bell? Is it, is it holding something? Is yeah. it, you know, is, is he lighting the bell or is it like he is bowing to the bell? Is the bell God talking to him? Is it like, yeah, no, there's, there's it's cool stuff, man. Like, last time it, I rang the bell, I was 20 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woke up, things went mm-hmm. sideways. <laughs> yeah, yep. and now I return, the bell calls me again back to Bloodborne, probably actually, if it's a bell. But besides that, that's, We'll set that aside. Um, <laughs> it's a good game. Uh, yeah, it's 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 cool, man. I'm uh, I'm excited to get this. Like, yeah. and, and the fact that like you're doing the hardcover book and yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. So I've wanted to do a hardcover forever, but before with our fulfillments, it was just like uh, Kyle, my brother, did Worlds in Peril, and he lost so much stock because they didn't uh, ship it properly and it got beat up and stuff. So even two years later on Indie Press Revolution, you can get copies of Worlds and Pearl for 20 bucks. And people Mm. said that they bought it and it's like, they can't even tell that it was damaged or whatever, but it was just the way that it shipped. It was so beat up or whatever that they just discounted the whole thing. And so ever since then, we've been kind of like trepidatious (laughs) about doing it. And then it, it's just always more money to ship them properly. Mm-hmm. But we've got two different fulfillment um, centers now, one in China, one in Korea. So 
I could finally finally do it. Kyle's doing Galaxies in Peril in hardcover, so I was like, I'm doing mine in hardcover too. <laughs> and I, Are I you doing this all through this. IPR? Pardon? You're doing this all through IPR? Yeah, it'll be it'll go out through IPR and then on our website it'll be shipped through either China or Korea, whatever's uh, cheaper at the time when it's nice. printed and shipped. And um yeah, we've got all the stretch goals that make it a pretty cool book too, like the sewn binding, ribbon mm -hmm. upgrade, spot yeah. UV, custom end papers. So it should look pretty, pretty. The, the ribbon is the next one. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get that ribbon, people. I need to mark my place. Yeah, well, it'll. I think it's with 18k for the last one. I'm pretty sure we'll hit all of them. Last nice. 48 hours is usually pretty big. It's usually around what you do on the first day, sometimes more than that. So I think we did six or seven the first day. So if that stays true, we should hit everything and then have a comfortable little cushion for when inevitably the Canadian dollar goes down more because <laughs> we didn't divest our resources. <laughs> uh, we'll see, man. I don't know. Well, you know, you, you might, you guys might be the refuge in a couple of weeks. So just <laughs> hang tight. <laughs> Well, it, it sucks because our dollar is tied to oil, like the mm -hmm. U.S. decoupled yep. it a long time ago. And hey, that was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it turns out, yeah. Yeah. Whoops. Like, I I remember the first casualty of the dollar going down, and it was only like eight cents at the time. I was like, oh, I can't afford to get uh, single-issue comics anymore because I used <sighs> to collect them. And now it's like 30 cents down. <laughs> yeah. So like games yeah. are twenty dollars more here. Yep. Everything's everything's uh, more expensive and stupid. Uh, that's such a bummer, man. Mm -hmm. Well, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, I'm gonna take personal responsibility just because I can on this podcast. This is I, I really not comfortable with you taking personal responsibility for something in Canada, given that you are the only non-Canadian on this podcast right now. <laughs> I'm just taking personal responsibility for the American side of the fuck up. So, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, a strong economy. Yeah, the um. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it depends on how strong the dollar is overseas, too. But uh, inevitably, it seems like any time we want to print a book, that's when it's like it takes a dip. <laughs> Just, Luckily, uh, we sell the product in you know in USD, right? So it's, exactly. it's fine. It's just hurts more at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this looks like your your campaign is doing excellent. So I, mm -hmm. I think everything's uh, looking pretty solid on on your end. So. Yeah, we, uh, we only have three k to go, so yeah, exactly. So, so hope uh, best of luck. <laughs> thing that's left, I know you have forty eight hours left, basically, uh, from yeah. where we're recording this. But uh, yeah. uh, it looks like this is a slam dunk, and I can't wait to get my hands on it and yeah. read through it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, any uh, any last shoutouts you'd like to give before we wrap things up? Uh, other people that you've worked with on the project or uh, where people can find you? If you want to play test the game, I'm usually on the Gauntlet uh, gaming community. Nice. It's They have a Patreon and then they have a calendar that goes up of all the games that they play and then you sign up. And it's uh, it's nice. You have like a, a large player base playing a lot of different games. 
there's a whole bunch of different stuff. I've been there for like three or four years or something like that. Uh, it's where I playtest everything now because I can, I, I pretty much can be guaranteed that the the players have a level of investment in it, and mm-hmm. they'll show up on like Roll Twenty forums and, and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a oh, and they produce the their Codex Zine too, and I think you get that with it for free with the spot. So even if you don't end up gaming online, then you get the the Codex. Mm, cool, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, pick that up. All right, well, cool, man. I mean, so yeah, um, thanks for coming on the show. There's been a chat about yonder. Mm, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, one of the reasons I invited you was actually a little bit selfish because my game is <laughs> a lot. I mean, it's it's not dissimilar from this in in a, a number of like pretty interesting ways. Uh, mechanically, they're they're pretty different, but like thematically, like my game's about uh, a, a, a community basically rebuilding after cataclysm, and it's very much about like a, how you approach problems, and then what you know each each kind of position, fictional position in the problem is both the good and like whatever your goal is, you're risking the alternate if you're doing a risk. Um, but it's very like I like talking to designers where I'm where there's convergent design because inevitably they're approaching the problem slightly differently and I love getting that here's another attack vector on the on the issue like because maybe my skill system could benefit from this skill this approach tree thing like that that looked really cool to me like I like seeing different people's tech and the way the way um you know like cuz this is a kind of a forge in the dark hack and like here how did this guy do it like there's Here's here's a hack on the skill system. It's like, oh, you can actually take this in the blades and and do blades with this particular hack, and like that that can be pretty interesting. So maybe you know, I, I just <laughs> it's just cool, like getting to getting to talk to different designers and and uh, get your particular like, and then also <laughs> what everybody's particular pet peeve about D and D is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how it and how it like drives their game. Like there's like this this thing I hate, and I'm gonna build the game to fix it. But like every because everybody's we all have one. <laughs> so it's like it's just that thing, you know. And uh, yeah. particularly when you're a couple of kickstarters deep and you've been through the process, and like there's you, you know, so is the process for you kind of like, like, kind of in the bag now? Because this is your third one or your fourth one. Um, yeah, aside from, oh, this is like fifth or sixth or something. Thing. Oh, I was just going, I, mean, I was looking at the top of your thing. Oh, no, I have other ones under Sam Joko uh, Publishing. Under, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's been a lot, like the Kickstarter itself isn't too strenuous for me anymore. I basically mm-hmm. am pretty sure I'll get funded and mm-hmm. can re- be reasonably sure about the having like a pretty good presentation just doing it myself or whatever. Um, the timing is always the thing that I have no idea about though. Because I would say had I known of all the things that were launched this month, I might have done it next month. Cause <laughs> it, like the day before I launched and the day after I launched, huge things came out. So I just like in the way that the Kickstarter algorithm presents it to the people browsing, it was like Yonder wasn't even basically there. So yeah, it could have yeah, it could have definitely 
took off a bit more, I think, than it mm-hmm. would have. But at the same time, I think I'll move more units after people have uh, heard of it and hopefully by my site. And, and then Kickstarter will take less of a piece of me that way, hopefully. Right. So it's a, it's a toss-up, really. But the design process for me is pretty well locked. It was just this. I was going to do Yonder even like April or something like that. But the game that I was currently writing at the time, Vale Inheritance, the third book of that uh, trilogy of games, the my computer bit the dust and took the file with it. And I thought I was safe because I was using Word autosave in OneDrive. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, whatever, it'll be sure fine. fine. Wow. Yeah. But uh, when I finally got the hard drive back, the file was completely corrupted. And the problem with that was I wasn't keeping a running document of changes or the design work. So I basically oh. had all my notes from the design work and then had to reapply them to it and rewrite the game. Oh. So I just got that done and uh then could do yonder because i didn't want to i didn't want to launch yonder when i was just essentially restarting the right. inheritance again the interesting thing about it though was that even with the design notes that i had when i was redoing inheritance i actually came at the problems in a different way which i think it mm-hmm. ended up being a, a solving some of them a little bit more elegantly but it was definitely like mental health wise, <laughs> it was like I was just yeah. off the scope for like four or five months or something uh, like that. Yeah, and I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. I like sat in front of the computer and was like 400 word days, eight hours. <laughs> oh man, I've been there, dude. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, well, it's this thing about COVID is just like you're just stuck. And like I had a burst of like massive, like burst of writing material like in, in June. And like since I had like I did like thirty thousand words in a month, and then like since then like like I'm lucky to get like you know a thousand words in a week. Like it's been ugh, I don't know what's happened, but yeah, it's it's this weird thing where it's like you get these waves, these sine waves of like I can do it, and then you're you're in this bar and you're like I uh, there's nothing good is ever gonna happen again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I think oh. after after Yonder's well, I have the next actual like four projects that I want to work on mapped out, but I'd also oh, wow. want to try doing some small fiction. Um nice. my brain will work that way because I've been doing some medium articles on the side for books that I've written and it's been a good way of jump starting my day into doing the design work. Oh. So I'll pump out like a five hundred to a thousand word uh, essay on whatever book that I really liked, and then go into to word to to work, and it's been working well. That's but awesome. if I can do fiction, that would be cool because I have a couple interesting ideas that way as well. Oh, cool! Well, we have a little outline that way, but we'll see if I've got the vocab for it. <laughs> <laughs> well. I look forward to seeing uh, the next works that you put out, and uh, I appreciate the reminder of saving my my PhD thesis and backing it up. So yeah, don't trust OneDrive. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's not like a game dog. That's like a hundred grand 
<laughs> of your future earnings. I'm gonna, like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely feel where you're coming from. If I were to lose that document, I'd I'd probably be in tears. So uh, glad to hear that you were able to like rebuild and and kind of go at it with a new yeah. approach because uh, it's uh, it takes a lot of strength to persevere through that. So um, I hope the game is made better for it, and we look forward to seeing uh, the the third book of the Veil series. And uh, yeah, um, I can't wait to get Yonder in my hands too. So yeah. thank you again yeah, for coming on. It's been awesome yeah. chatting with you, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again uh, for the next game. Yes, and anytime you want to come back, chat wherever the heck. Yeah, on by. sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kavor. Yeah, you fully have permission to just jump in this channel when we're talking on Friday. There's no magical there. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> 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 all right all right guys well uh thanks for listening to another episode of flail forward uh for uh mark cavoir catrice for, is it i'm sorry did i get fraser is it fraser or fraser Fra uh, fraser simons fraser okay yeah fraser and myself rob <laughs> good night it is always night where you are don't forget that good night and we are clear Thank you. That was, that was great. That was really no fun. Problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed talking about it. It's, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been cool watching it uh, from. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, or not, we're not picky, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, and, uh, and Pornhub. Because why not? Gotta go where your audience is, right? Good night, everyone. <laughs>